Nearly a decade ago, I found myself filling the hours by listening to podcasts while my husband, Brooks, was training with the U.S. Army. Walking the streets of our Army post, I dreamt of creating something for women that bridged that gap between sermon audio and small talk. It was on the floor of my tiny closet on post that that very dream, the Dream for the Journey Women podcast, came to fruition in June of 2017. And today, by God's grace, Journey Women is now a not-for-profit ministry with the aim of moving women to know and love God more. Our monthly and one-time givers help make our mission possible. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you can make a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeywomen.org forward slash give. Thank you for investing in the work of Journey Women. Welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Belis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women Podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. On today's episode of the Journey Women Podcast, I chatted with Karen Hodge about being a life giver, something I know that we all desire to be. We talked about everything from the distinction between a life taker and a life giver to who our ultimate life giver is, Jesus Christ. Listen to what she said. The gospel actually redeems our capacity to be a life giver, to actually do what God has called us to do. The gospel redeems our design and our mission. And so it's something we have to rely on all the time. As we look to Jesus, we are dependent upon him. Again, as I was saying, it's 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 not about having the capacity to do it. It's his life through us. This is just an incredible opportunity to sit at the feet of a woman who has spent an entire lifetime saturating herself in God's word. You guys are going to be able to tell that as you listen to Karen Hodge speak. So you'll know her a little better. Karen serves as the coordinator for PCA Women's Ministry, where she seeks to connect women and churches to one another and to sound resources. She's having the time of her life serving alongside her husband, Chris, who's the senior pastor at Naperville Presbyterian Church in Illinois. Chris and Karen have two kids, Anna Grace and Haddon, that round out Team Hodge. It's from the perspective of a wife, mother, leader, and fellow pilgrim that she hopes to offer insights from God's Word, considering how she and the listener can most effectively learn to enjoy and extend God's glory. What? I love that. Now, on to my conversation with Karen Hodge about being a life giver. Karen, welcome to the Journey Women podcast. I just want to give people a little bit of our history because I had this experience when I was doing your Bible study, didn't know you, but was doing your Bible study with my little church here in Clarksville, Tennessee. And I posted about it on social media and our mutual friend, I found out later, actually messaged me and she said, did you know that Karen is my mentor? And this is our friend, Laura Whiffler of the Risen Motherhood podcast. And anyway, she, of course, um, connected us. And then I begged you to come on the show. So I'm so happy to have you on the Journey Women podcast with us today. Oh, thank you, Hunter. You're like a good friend. I, I love listening to you every week as I take my walks and as I'm driving around. You oh my are gosh, great. that's so humbling. That embarrasses me. I can't believe you listen to the Journey Women podcast, Karen. You better believe it. <laughs> yep. Oh, well, I feel the same way about you. Can you tell the listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you do? 
Okay. Um, I have the privilege of serving as, uh, it's a big title, but uh, really what it means is I'm a servant. Um, I'm the coordinator for women's ministries for the Presbyterian Church in America, or PCA, since we like our acronyms. Yes. What that means is I help coordinate women's ministries across our denomination, whether it's uh, connecting women to people like Hunter or or resources like uh, the Journey Women podcast or books or Bible studies. And it's a great joy because I get to meet all kinds of amazing people. I think you have one of the coolest jobs on the planet. Well, thank you. There, I need to remember that because it's a Monday and we're talking and I need to remember that I have one of the <laughs> coolest jobs on the planet. Is it like a full-time gig? It really seems like you're just constantly on the go with this job. Yes. And um, one of the things that I it is definitely a full time job and I I don't work in our national office, which is Mm -hmm. located in Atlanta. My husband is a senior pastor here in a suburb of Chicago. And so I work out of here. But I want to, you know, move towards the women of our denomination. So I'm on a plane a lot. And uh, yeah. so I fly I fly a lot around the country to either speak or to just meet with women and hear what God is doing. And, you know, that's one of the gr- another great joy is just saying, hey, this church over here is doing something amazing. Hmm. Let's connect these two churches because we can learn from one another. Man, I got to tell you that when I connected with you, I had like tears streaming down my face. I just felt so loved that you would reach out your hand to me and that you would extend help to me in my little endeavor that I'm like setting out on here in my closet. So, Karen, I just I think you do a beautiful job of connecting people, women within the PCA and giving us resources and encouraging and equipping us. I'm just so thankful for what you do. And you and I were just talking that you actually are mentored by a woman with whom you co-authored this book. And she did this exact role, right? Just before you. She did. She did for 25 years. Her name was Susan Hunt. Many of you probably have totally. read um, uh, some of Susan's books. She's been name dropped on the podcast a couple of times. I don't know if you've heard that, but yes. yes. Well, she, um, you know, one of the things I love to say about Susan is um, she really does live out um, you know, today we're going to talk about being a life giver. She lives mm-hmm. out being a life giver. She's mm. shown me the shape of what that looks like, biblically speaking. And um, she's the real deal. And um, she is my spiritual mother. I met her when I was 28 years old. And um, I was a young mom myself and was overwhelmed with life and ministry and church planting mm. that we were doing. And um, she just came alongside me and um, really just uh, helped me see how I could steward not only what she was teaching me, but what other women were teaching me. And here I am, you know, 28 years later, um, still still trying to figure out what that looks like. But uh, she's still very much a part of my life. Uh, we talk at least once or twice a week. And, and you uh, guys are still writing books together, still doing ministry together. You yeah. wrote this book and then you guys have a new book coming out soon, right? We do. Um, yeah. So um, kind of picking up on this whole idea of what it means to be a life giver, but life giving leadership. So, you know, women, all they have to do is look over their shoulder. There's somebody following mm. them and it might mm-hmm. be a four year old and it might be a neighbor or it might be um, a, a woman that they serve with at church. But what does it mean to say, follow me as I follow Christ? Mm. And and that's really the essence of being a life giver is pointing people to Christ, but knowing Christ in such a way that that life giving aroma impacts everything you say and everything you do. And so really the book is kind of like how you develop as a leader, but also how you pass that on. And um, Hunter, I have a 
a I, I love items that remind me of what is true. And mm-hmm. um, I surround myself with uh, what my friend calls an arsenal of truth and beauty. And in my office um, right now, if you were here, you would see that I have a framed hinge. And I'm saying hinge like you would get at Lowe's or Home Depot. Um, uh because I see myself as a hinge. I'm 50 years old. Um, I, I have been mentored by the next generation and I stand here in the middle, um, reaching forward, reaching back, um, trying to, um, pass on what I have learned to the next generation to invest there heavily. And, you know, a hinge is, uh, you know, just a really a piece of hardware. It's not really pretty, even though my hinge is pretty nice, um, it's brass and everything, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, but you don't notice a hinge on a door. You just open no. the door. Yeah. And that's really what a life giving leader is, is you don't notice the person, but when it's useful and it's helpful and it's doing what it's designed to do, then it's mm. life giving. And so that's kind of when I get up on a Monday morning, that's my job. My job's to be a hinge. And so anyway. Man, I just want to jump through the computer and give you a big squeeze because I'm like, you you embody what I want to be at 50, Karen. Thank you for doing this for us. I, I mean, I know you're you're humble and you're just like, Connor, stop it. But I, I, I am just so encouraged to see somebody doing what I want to be doing when I'm 50. You are truly a life giver. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. So can we dive in and just talk about what is a life giver? What is the distinction between a life taker and a life giver? Well, I think that most women kind of instinctively get that, right? You know, if I were to say to you, Hunter, what's the most life-giving thing somebody has ever said to you? Hmm. What would you say? So I'm going to interview you. I think my husband, maybe, this is just really off the top of my head, but I think when he says, I love you for who you are and not for what you can do. There you go. See, I turned the tables on you. I apologize. But <laughs> So you get it. And then we hang on to these words. They, those words have yes. power. But when somebody says something that's life-taking or does something mm. that's life-taking, mm. that literally takes the life out of you, yes. we either breathe life in or we suck life out. And yes. I think the way we can understand that is to go back to the garden, the way we were made. Um, God created life in the garden and it was very, very good. And he created us as women to be his image bearers. And he created us also to be helpers, not hinderers, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't good for man to be alone. And so he needed a a helper that was suitable or fit just for him. And yet the fall happens and the ultimate life taker, Satan, Mm. slithers in and and the life taker whispers lies um, about things mm. that, such as that, you know, um, God is not enough. God's holding out on you. Mm-hmm. God's not going to provide for you. In fact, you don't need God. You can be your own God. Mm. Okay. And that's what the life taker says. And and what we see is Eve respond to that, or actually woman at this point um, in Genesis 3, where she um she believes the life taking lies of the life taker Satan and then becomes a life taker to her husband. Yeah. And, and so, but then the most amazing thing happens in Genesis three fifteen. So, um, they've sent, you know, here's Adam and, and woman they've sinned against God. He's, he's delivered the curse. The death sentence is still ringing in the air but then in Genesis 3:15 we hear the gospel promise mm-hmm. of a life th- 
through the Redeemer that's going to come, and he's going to crush the head of the life taker, okay? And so, and then right after that, um, so Adam has been given this job of naming, you know, I don't know, how, right. where did he come up with these, all these names, you know, <laughs> zebra, rhinoceros, you know, um, iguana, all these, he said all these things, and his capacity to to be that kind of authority to name things is restored and he names his wife and he mm. names her Eve. And that word Eve sounds like the Hebrew word for life. So here's Eve, there's a death sentence ringing in the air and he says your name means life or life giver. And I think it's significant uh, because you've got all kinds of women that are listening. At this point, Eve has not birthed a child she doesn't have any children, understanding what death is. And he's saying, you are going to actually be able to live out the mandate that I've given you to be fruitful and multiply. Mm. And that's not going to just be biological. That's going to be spiritual. Yeah. You know, so being a life giver transcends everything. Our age, our life season, our marital status, where we live. It's its like a really big concept. And the whole your whole mission as a woman is to spread the glory of God at being a life giver to the ends of the earth. Man, I find that really encouraging, too, that she had literally just, you know, partnered with the life taker, which we can all identify with, sadly. And then her husband looks at her and calls her, like a, essentially calls her a life giver. That's really, really encouraging for those of us that know that we haven't executed this role perfectly. Oh, well, of course. Yeah. That, and that there's all, and where does our hope come from? The ultimate life giver, Jesus Christ. Yeah. He's the one who restores our capacity to be a life giver. Yes. Through the cross. So it's really fascinating to think about how every moment in your life holds the potential to either be a life taker yeah. or a life giver. So what we say, what we do, and even the attitudes of our heart. Yeah. I wish I could remember that <laughs> with every, <laughs> with everything I do and say, especially to my kiddos. I understand. What other examples do we see of this concept in scripture? You guys go through like a whole host of women in your book. Yeah, well, I mean, just because we just started talking about Eve, let's just stay there with Eve for a second. So, yeah. Okay, so she's, okay, her name's Life, Life Giver. Yeah. But, you know, sin also has consequences, right? So they're asked to leave the garden, and she's wondering, how mm -hmm. am I going to be a life giver? Yeah. And so she and she and Adam leave the garden. God loves them enough to put this guard there so that they don't go back and they're not tempted to, to life-taking actions. And then, you know, she remembers that when the blessings and the curses are given down, that in that promise that there's going to be one, that there's going to be one that comes. Right. And she knows she's the only woman, right? So she's thinking, is it going to come through me? And we see in chapter four, which a lot of times we kind of just do Genesis one through three, but when we go into Genesis four, Verse one says this, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now she's wondering, is this the uh, one? Uh -huh. Okay. If you read on, you <laughs> find out real quick, he's not the one. Yes. You know, and it, and if you think you're having problems with your kid today, go read about <laughs> Cain. I mean, yeah. he literally is, 
his whole existence is about independence from God. He builds his own city. He kills his brother. He does his own thing. But then 24 verses later in chapter 4, it says this, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. And it's just two words. I have gotten a son with the help of the Lord. She adds that on kind of as Mm -hmm. the caboose. Or God has appointed Mm -hmm. for me another Mm -hmm. offspring. And that right there is the essence, Hunter, of the difference between being changing from being a life taker to a life giver. It's shifting from I to God. Mm. Where's the focus? And so do I have a self-orientation or do I have a Godward orientation? And so, again, that happens minute by minute in our life. And that's why life is just about repentance and faith. I mean, because in one moment I can, I can praise God in the next moment. I can say, look at me. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my goodness. I resonate with that so much. So what actually enables us to be life givers? You know, as I was saying before, you know, Jesus Christ, of course, Mm -hmm. he came that we might have life and have it Mm. more abundantly. I love that verse. If you look if you look all through the gospels, you see the word life associated with Jesus Christ. Yeah. And he can he comes to bring us eternal life. So the gospel is you know, it's a radical reversal of what our first parents, Adam and Eve, experienced. They deserved death because they had been disobedient. And yet first John five twelve is one another one of my favorite verses. It says, Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so the cross, the gospel actually redeems our capacity to be a life giver, to actually do what God has called us to do. The gospel redeems our design and our mission. And so it's something we have to rely on all the time. As we look to Jesus, we are dependent upon him. Again, as I was saying, it's not about us having the capacity to do it. It's his life uh-huh. through us. Uh-huh. You guys talked about this, this distinction between like the indicative and the imperative. Can you kind of explain that for the listeners? So the indicative would be what is, it is what it is, right? Uh-huh. And the imperative is because of what it is, this is what you do. Therefore, yeah. this is what you yes. do. And it, you see that oh, all over in Scripture. And, and you're, they're almost always paired together like little cousins, you know. And so we see what's true. And then we say, okay, what am I supposed to do with that? You know, mm-hmm. how am I going to live that out? And mm-hmm. I think that's where your listeners, I'm sure, find themselves every day. I know what's true, but I don't know how to live it out. Totally. We live it out through the power of the life giver through us, yes. the spirit living through us. And that yields gospel fruit in our life. Life is crazy sometimes, and finding time to sit down and read the Bible can be difficult. That is why I love Dwell. When I can't find time to read the Bible, I can listen to it. The voices reading the Bible are soothing, they're not your normal narrators. Plus, you can choose calming background music and adjust the pace of the narrator's voice to get things just right. Dwell's newest release is called Dwell Daily, a fresh, thoughtfully crafted devotional that immerses you in the word, allowing you to pray it, meditate on it, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your engagement with the Bible this year, 
Dwell Daily is worth checking out. I cannot recommend Dwell enough to help you orient your mind to the life-giving Word of God throughout your day. Go to dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen to receive your 25% discount today. Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen for your 25% discount to subscribe and spend time in God's Word. So what kind of fruit, let's just talk practically for people who are like, ah, I don't really know. Am I acting like a life giver or am I acting like a life taker? Like what fruit might we see in our lives if we're acting like a life taker? Okay, well, another way to say this, biblically speaking, life taking is walking in the flesh. Hmm. Yeah, it's walking in in our own strength. Right. Um, and life giving is walking in the spirit. And Paul's epistles talk all about what that looks like. Yeah. And there's some really ugly words <laughs> that look that go with the life taking. And we want to skip over that because we usually find ourselves in the midst of all those long lists of ugly words. And, you know, they usually have things to do with what we say and, you know, how we act to other people. Yeah. And then there are things like love, faith steadfastness, those things that, that are fruit of the spirit. Mm -hmm. Um, that's when we see the fruit of what it looks like now, see the, the thing that's so stunning to me, and you can see this anytime you get in a group, they're both contagious. Yes, that's so true. Yeah. A life taker comes in a room and they start talking. And before you know it, you are complaining about everything. Everything is horrible. Right. Because it's a contagion. But then a life giving person comes in they start talking mm. and they start talking. They All of a sudden your eyes are lifted up and you see you know, this Godward perspective of, of thankfulness and um, what he's doing. And all of a sudden you're like, yeah, I, you know, I want to get my eyes off myself and I want to look up. And, and so they're both, you know, Paul talks about it like it's an aroma. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, yeah. he talks about this in Second Corinthians. He said to one, the fragrance is like death. In other words, it stinks. And and think about, oh, sour milk, you know, yeah. a dirty diaper in the garbage <laughs> can. I mean, yeah. whatever you want. I mean, I, I hate to paint pictures like that, but you, I think we kind of need to think about it like that. Yeah, it permeates the air. Or this amazing aroma yeah. that of Christ where you where you're you're just um you're smelling it, you're drinking it in, it's changing the entire environment in a room. So one a life taker, they it's it's a stinky aroma and a life giver, it's a pleasant fragrant aroma. So what should we do Karen if we realize <laughs> we've been a little bit of the stinky diaper in the room? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to say I don't want you to feel bad today but you're acting like a stinky diaper. Um okay, so function so here's the thing, Hunter, like I was saying before, it's like it's counterintuitive you have to die to live. Yeah. And Jesus again, I don't want to minimize maybe how you look at yourself in the mirror, but Jesus says in the gospels you're like a little seed of wheat and I'm going to plant you in dirt. And so for you, right now you live in Kentucky. I live in Chicago. That's uh-huh. the dirt we're planted in. But he said, I'm going to plant you so deep that you're going to have to die. That seed's going to have to be broken open. Now mm. I want you to think about that for a second. That's painful. It <laughs> that doesn't sound pleasant. Yeah. Doesn't, but the only way that you're going to bear fruit is for you to die. 
And then Jesus goes on to say this, whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. In other words, he's calling you because in that moment, you're like, I don't want to be a life taker. Mm-hmm. Well, then then I'm going to say to you, friend, die. Mm. Die to your comfort, die to your convenience, die to what your plan mm-hmm. was, die to your desire to be in control of what's going on right now. And I want you to die so you can live. Mm. The only way that you'll ever bear fruit in your life is when you die to yourself. Yes. You're crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And that's that's really, I mean, the gospel says this over and over again. And this is the part we don't want to talk about because death is scary and painful and it's inconvenient <laughs> and it's and yet it's the only way. Yes. You know, and so many of the people that we look to, Karen, as life givers are people that not only have like died to themselves, but who have also experienced really difficult things. It was interesting because we were in our Bible study and one of the questions that they asked as like a starter conversation was, who is a life giver in your life? And almost every single example that I can recollect involved a woman who was walking through intense difficulty or struggle who was continuing to look her face to Jesus in the midst of that. Those are the people that we're looking to and we're thinking, man, they are life givers because they, in spite of their circumstances, are continuing to be a fragrant aroma like you talked about. So I think it's interesting how we must die to ourselves and then how also God in his kindness allows us to undergo difficulties so that we can become more like him and so that we can, you know, I mean, that's exactly what Jesus lived out for us here on earth, right? Like his life was one of suffering and sacrifice. And yet, like you said, he is the ultimate life giver and the one whom we should seek to emulate. Right. Well, yes, yeah, right. He emptied himself. He became nothing. Yeah. Um, and uh, he gave his life on the cross. And yet my guess is, Hunter, if I were to meet these women, because it's the same in my life, profound suffering and opportunities to die, yet robust joy. Yes, exactly. I mean, these people exude yes. joy. And and it's because they're always looking up. Yes. They're not looking in or they're not looking at their circumstances as much. And so praise God for people like that. So what are the truths that we should cling to or that we might be able to cling to and remember to help us stay on the life-giving path when we do face circumstances like those? Well, you were kind enough to say, you know, I'd like to be a little bit like you when I grow up, which I, <laughs> if you really knew me, right? I wanted to say, if you really, <laughs> really knew me. Um, I think that women that I get to spend time with, they all want to change. And they're trying to figure out who they're going to be when they grow up. Yeah. And they might be 30 and they might be 50. I don't know. So there's, we want to figure out who we're going to be. And one of the things that we long for is this transformation and we, we, we want to be changed. Mm-hmm. And 
when you come into our church, if you look over to the left, and so I do this every, and my office is at our church, and so I, I look over look over to the left, and what is painted on the wall is from Revelations, and it says, mm. Behold, I am making all things new. Mm. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And the cool thing about that is that, yes, in the end, Jesus will make all things new. And I can't wait for the new heavens and new earth. But it's also present tense. And so in your life today, mm-hmm. God is making all things new. He is redeeming. He is restoring. He is bringing about change. And so I think when I think about what am I going to cling to is that God is not going to leave us the way that he found us. Mm-hmm. And he wants to change us. And he wants to transform us. And that word transformation we sometimes, we, and we find this in, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I think sometimes when I want to change, I think, well, I'll just be like Hunter. Yeah. Okay. I'll just yeah. be like this person. Well, we don't want to be conformed to, to somebody else. Right. And I, I think women can get this idea. It's the idea of being pressed into a mold. So if you have Play-Doh at your house right now, which I praise Absolutely. God, don't have any more Play-Doh <laughs> at my house because it, you know. Mine's all mixed all and dried, dried and crusty. Up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Praise God. But it's the idea of that dough going down in one of those pumps and, and, and the way it feels in our life is be like this, look like this, do this, appear like this. And we feel that in, in everything that we do and mm-hmm. say in, in social media and that's being conformed. It's it, it literally finds its root in the word for masquerade to wear a mask. Wow. Or play a part. So he's so Paul says, don't be conformed to the world or to try to be like somebody else or what the Christian subculture, mm-hmm. but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm-hmm. So the change comes in the way we think. Yeah. And I love the fact that that word transformed is. It's it it's both present, but it's passive tense. So you're going to be transformed, but you're going to allow yourself to be transformed. Mm-hmm. It's literally mm-hmm. like, okay, you're not going to do the work. And the picture is that of um, metamorphosis. And we get that because we're looking at butterflies flying all around, you know, in our yard right now. Yeah. And back back in the day, I was a first grade school teacher and, um, you know, we did basic science. Yes. Talking like, you know, not not rocket science, basic science where we would <laughs> say, OK, here's, you know, a caterpillar and the, we're going to get a mason jar and then we're going to watch this caterpillar. And, you know, if you're six, it's hard to be patient. You know? <laughs> but, you know, we're going to watch this caterpillar form this cocoon. And then the kids would come in, you know, and say, what's going on? Because you don't see anything going on. You, you're just looking at this ugly right. cocoon. <laughs> and yet something very profound is going on in the inside. Yes. And that's spiritually speaking mm. what is happening, that this greater power internally is transforming or changing us. And that's our hope when we get discouraged, that God is at work, even yes. though you see it. And here's the here's the the thing, like the news flash that's gonna be hard for your listeners and for me to remember. It happens when we're still. Mm. 
Yes. Yeah. I mean, okay. So, and then of course, as a teacher, I'm praying like crazy. Okay, please, please emerge as a butterfly. Like, I don't want to explain to all these little six-year-olds why this, <laughs> we couldn't release the butterfly on the playground. But, but think about the difference between the ugly caterpillar, the still cocoon and the radiant butterfly. Yeah. God is doing a significant, glorious, radical work in your life right now. And maybe you can't see what's happening, but be encouraged. God is at work and he is going to transform you. And it's going to, it's going to keep going until we get home. Yes, I'm reminded of Paul's words to the Philippians. I love this verse and take such heart in it where he who began a good work in you will bring it about to its completion because so often we just we're sitting in that cocoon, Karen, and we feel like we have not made any progress at all, spiritually speaking or even practically speaking. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So we're like, okay, I'm waiting, but I don't see anything. And yet um, it. When it happens, it takes your breath away. Mm. That's what sanctification is all about. Really, that's what we're talking about. Biblically speaking, is that God is conforming us more and more into the image of his dear son. Yeah, That's who we're conformed to, Jesus Christ. We look more and more like Jesus. And we can't always see it, but a good gospel friend could say to you, Mm -hmm. Hunter, I see it in you. I see what God is doing. Or you can tell your children when you see it in them. Because yes. they're not, they, they need us to be there to tell them how yeah. we're seeing how God's changing them. And you know, one of the things that I really try to do with my kids, Karen, is to give God the credit for that work so that they don't end up struggling with as much with the pharmaceutical mindset that I struggle with. Like, even some of my questions that I have planned to ask to you today are a derivative of this, like, let's work hard and like accomplish this in ourselves, you know, and when it's really God who's doing the work in them. So often I'll see Hadley walking in obedience and I'll say, wow, Hadley. I am so thankful. Can we thank God together for the work that he's doing in your heart to cause you to delight in obeying mommy and daddy? Something like that. Do you have any examples of of what this would look like, what this process looks like of both being still and allowing God to do the work and yet also, you know, that transformation where we're like accepting it, like you were saying, in the context of our everyday kind of relationships with our husband, with our kids, with our friends, maybe within our community at church, that type of thing? Well, let's talk about the stillness part, because I think that's the hardest part. And I would just ask I have to ask myself all the time, Yeah. do I have margin? Do I have space? And we need space to, um, to, to read God's word, yeah. to pray, to reflect. And if we, our default is to do. Mm-hmm. That is and, my default. And so at least my default is to yes. do, I should say. And yet God says, I want you to be. Yeah. And to rest in that. Even when you think about the way he established Sabbath, which is that taking the taking the time to be still. Right. That's what it is. And it's it's resting from and resting to him. Um, so I would say, like, what does that look like? If you are a young mother with little kids, mm-hmm. you help your gospel friend have rest. Mm-hmm. So you trade off. And yeah. That's the way I would do it with some of my friends. I'd say, you know what? I'll keep your kids. Yes. And, 
and you keep my kids on this day. And I, maybe once a month, I need like a little mini retreat where I can just be still and to celebrate and to reflect on how God has transformed me. And then to pray about areas I long for him to transform me. But then the other thing is just like we do we do life together. Mm-hmm. So talk about this idea of what does it look like with our husbands and our friends at church. I mean, we need each other. Mm-hmm. And I love the idea of just how that word teaching and training, especially in Paul's epistles, means to show, to show off. Like I need my friends to show me what it means to be a life giver. I need them to show me what it means to follow Christ, what it means to repent, what it means to love my husband, Mm. what it means to love my kids. I need them to show me because like I can read it, but I don't always get it. Right. So show me what that looks like. And I think that what would it look like? It's interesting the way you ask the question. Husbands, kids, friends, church leadership, and community. Mm. I'm sure you intentionally did this, but... I would rather serve my community than serve my husband. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's easier started, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. You started with husband, kids, friends, church, and community. So you worked your way out. Well, really, if I serve my community as a life giver, but I'm a life taker to my husband, yeah. then that kind of invalidates what I'm doing in the community. Mm-hmm. So it starts at home. <laughs> yes. It starts in it starts around the breakfast table. Yeah. And what does it look like for that to happen? I think the last encouragement I would give you is that you saturate your life with the life-giving words of scripture. Mm-hmm. So, okay. I mean, when Deuteronomy says, write them on the walls, write yeah. it on your forehead, write it. I mean, listen, I forget. I forget all the time. Totally. So is it, maybe it's on your phone, maybe it's on your mirror, maybe it's, it's sitting at the, it's sitting at the table where you dine together and you're doing devotions together, whatever it looks like, that is what is life-giving. Yes, I completely Scripture agree. is a, like a fountain. It is a refreshing um, drink of water and we are thirsty people mm-hmm. and, and it is also the bread of life and we are hungry people. And I'm going to tell you, thirsty, hungry people are life-taking. I mean, they, you know, you, yes. if I'm hangry, as they say, you know, like <laughs> if I am like, I am very hungry and I am very thirsty, I am not a pleasant person to be around. <laughs> so um, don't think there's a shortcut of going around yeah. preaching the gospel to yourself. So much of it goes back to what you were talking about with the indicative and the imperative. It's so much of remembering who God is, who we are in light of him, and then what we do is a result of who we are. And so often, Karen, in my own life, I fixate so much on what I do and try to modify that as opposed to doing what you're saying and fixating on who is God and who has he uh, made me as his daughter and what has he done to me through the gospel. And and by being refreshed by that and by being um, transformed by that, the gospel, um, then there's just an outpouring of fruit in my life. Well, and that is so true. It's all about overflow, right? Mm-hmm. Really, literally, if you go back and you look at Romans 11, 33 through 36, which yes. precedes. So Favorite that's a verses. great example, right, of 
indicative and imperative. Yes. Who God is. Yes. So he says, you know, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has yes. been his counselor, who has given him a gift that might be paid for from him and through mm-hmm. him and to, to him, him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, mm. there's usually a therefore, I appeal to you, brothers or sisters, to present wow. your bodies. So the whole idea of until I understand who God is, I can never understand who he's designed me to be. Yes. And, and it has to start with worship because... That word literally means what I hold as worthy shapes me. Hmm. It shapes everything I do, everything I say, every choice I make. And if he is not the most worthy thing in your life, if you don't worship him, because, of course, we're all made to be worshiping something, right? Um, And he doesn't captivate you in such a way that Hmm. you prize him above all else, then you're never going to see the transformation that you long for. Yes. You know, I was just asking my friend, Gloria Furman. She became a a dear friend of mine through actually me writing a review of her book and then us sparking up a friendship. And I was just sitting with her at the Gospel Coalition Women's Conference and talking with her about, like, how can I continue to like do the podcast in a healthy way, that kind of thing. Like, am I neglecting my primary roles as a wife, as a mother, as all these different in my in my local church? Like, I never want to detract from that. And, and that's been like a big fear of mine affiliated around the podcast. And she just really simply came back to this idea of this must be an overflow of worship, which is exactly what you're talking about. Like, if it's detracting from in any way from your worship of God, then we need to do some pairing back and reevaluate of what does it look like to, again, create that margin to protect, you know, my heart's soul devotion to the Lord. Um, So, Mm. Karen, what would it look like for us to be life givers in the context of not just discipleship, but ministry, like as a whole? Because so often, like you're saying, I think we do get that backwards where we're we're wanting to serve and love and do all these things for our communities. And then so often we really implode on ourselves and realize that we've completely run dry. Right. And so let's talk about what, what is discipleship? Mm-hmm. It is to be, it's following Christ. That's mm. what it, it's, mm-hmm. to be, it's to look like Christ. So in ministry, we can get tripped up by like task and events yeah. and, you know, like things that have to be done. And then we have to ask ourselves, where's Jesus in all of this? Yeah. And so I think that that's usually a a major red flag where we've gotten off track. But I think that um, one of the ways God's designed us to learn and to grow, especially as women, is found in Titus 2, where Mm -hmm. older women teach younger women. They show them what sound doctrine looks like because sound doctrine yields sound living. So there you go, indicative, imperative. Since those are hooks, you have obviously, you know, grabbed the hold of. Sound doctrine overflows in sound living. And mm-hmm. so what, what, what we do is we teach that. We, and remember what I said, that means to show it off. And then he goes on, Paul says, you know, teach them what it means to, you know, to, to be good and to love their husbands and love their children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands. And a lot of times we get tripped up because especially the list makers and us get tripped uh-huh. up with all those because we're like, well, I'm not doing all these things perfectly. So like I'm getting an F in this and I'm getting a C in this. And and what he's just saying is as you do life, when you love your husband, you love your kids, you're working at home, you're working outside the home, you're 
as you do life, what's the point? So that the word of God may not be reviled. So Hmm. that when people see the gospel in your life, they would say, Hmm. I know that it's true. Hmm. By the way, you love your husband, Hmm. by the way. And then Paul goes on to say further down in verse 10, he says that so that in everything you do, you might adorn the gospel of Christ. And the only way I can explain this, Hunter, is my son lives in D.C. and love to go to the Smithsonian's mm-hmm. um, museums when I'm yeah. there. And, and most of us have gone to see the Hope Diamond at some point mm-hmm. in the Museum of Natural History. And what is your inclination? It's to lean in because yeah. I mean, this is like a, I believe it's like a 45 carat, you know, gem. Wow. It's got all these carats and it's got all these dimensions and the light is shining on it. And that's what a life-giving life looks like. It has all these dimensions that show us Aww. the different aspects of who God is, that he's kind, that he's compassionate, that, he's, that he is wise, that he is faithful, all of these different things. And so a life-giving woman sets the gospel on display in her life and people lean in and they look at it. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a stunning thing because it's not about her because it's all about him. Totally. I completely agree with that. And I love that mental picture. You know, you mentioned something as you were describing that, that sound doctrine in the Titus 2 text leads to sound living. How are theology, our understanding of who God is, and doxology, our worship, our praise of God, actually interconnected? Right. So I think I was saying before, like our worship. So what shapes us, what we hold is worthy— Until we, Calvin says, until you understand who God is, you're not going to understand who you are. Hmm. You have to understand who God is. We have to start with God. Yeah. Because we want to start with us. Yes. And and that's what the world tells us to do. You know, just get a better understanding of who you are. Listen, if I look in, it is like a big black hole. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't need to start there. I need to look up. And so that's why worship directs our heart up. And mm-hmm. I had a, a chance last year to go and visit some of the great cathedrals in the United Kingdom with my husband. Cool. And it was just a tremendous uh, gift awesome. that yeah. we were given. Yes. Now, the thing that we don't have here in America as much is transcendence. We, and one of the things that we, I saw when I went into Westminster Abbey, there's a chapel and you walk in and there is this mirrored table. And what you saw were, is very similar to what I was saying about the whole thing with the Hope Diamond. People would walk in and this is what I did. I walked in and I looked down into the mirrored table and what I saw was the beauty of the arches and the art that wow. was on the ceiling. Now, that's a picture of what I do every day. Hmm. I look I look down, I look in. But then what, what, what that table encouraged me to do was look up. So yeah. our doxology, what we worship, impacts our theology. And our theology is our study of who God is. And so they, they're both, they're inseparable. Yeah. I can't take them apart. And you see it in scripture over and over and over and over again. I mean, two really quick examples. Isaiah, okay, he sees the Lord mm-hmm. it up. He says, you know, worthy, worthy, worthy. Then he says, yes. woe to me. <laughs> yes. I'm undone. You know, whatever that looks like. But I think we know what that looks like as a woman. We know what it's like to be undone. <laughs> I'm a man of unclean lips. But then what does he say? 
here am I, send me. Hmm. I mean, how do, wow. how do you get that whole circle? Wow. Of worship, he understands who God is. And then he also understands that because of who God is, he has to be on mission. And because when he's on mission, he realizes how much he needs to worship God. I mean, that's this kind of the way we live our life. And the same thing is true. Like Mary, the mother of Jesus, is mm-hmm. another good example. She, in the Magnificat, she praises God. She launches into this song. Here she is. Her, her whole reputation is going to be undone because of the fact that she's been told that she's pregnant and she's not even married yet. And yet she launches into this worship of God. And then she said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Mm. And that was her response. So as we worship, we are then compelled to go and do what God has called us to do. And so those that's how those the two things are kind of mm. inseparable. Truly the picture of a life giver. Do you have anybody, any resources, Karen, that you would recommend? I'm sure everybody's like, man, I want to be more like that. What resources would you recommend for somebody who wants to grow in being a life giver? Okay, well, um, here are just three, but I have right now, I'm a book lover. Yes. I, I mean, but... I need to love the Bible more than I love all these books. But anyway, okay, so if, <laughs> but here's a book that I keep on my iPad that I probably read, I try to read it at least four or five times a year. Oh, wow. And the reason why I'm saying this is because it's 48 pages. Okay. And it's The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, The Path to True Christian Joy by Tim Keller. Yes, great one. It's get out of your own way and look to God. It's so good. My biggest life-taking malady is my words. So War of Words from Paul Tripp. Um, you talk mm. about something that's just going to slice and dice you up. I mean, because it's extremely convicting. At least it is to me. I haven't read that. I need that. Uh, yeah, War of Words. Um, it says it all in the title, right? Um, and then I would say there are books that you read at a pivotal time in your life that become friends that you pilgrim with. Mm-hmm. And I would say the book I read when I was probably your age was The Legacy of Biblical Womanhood. It's an old book. Wow. By yeah. Crossway by Susan Hunt. And it and it talked that's the first time I ever heard this concept of being a life giver. Cool. But I was I was in my late twenties and I go back to that book all the time. <laughs> Little did you know you would co author a book with her on it someday. Uh, uh, if you had told me that, I would have died. <laughs> so God, oh, God surprises us that way. Yeah. Yes, that that might be my simple joy if I were you. But do you have three simple joys that you'd like to share with us today? Okay, simple joys. What Chris and I love to do is um, we love to go to the movies. And oh. we have a movie pass. And I don't know if y'all know what this, I don't even think movie pass is going to make it. But I am, I'm riding that train as long as I can. <laughs> I we love to go to movies. We we love to look for redemptive qualities in movies. Mm-hmm. And I would say the next thing would be barbecue. Ooh. Um, when when we could not sell our home in South Florida for almost seven years, we said if we wow. ever sold our house, we would we would get a pit from Texas. And we, they built this pit, and it was delivered here to Chicago. And just this last week, I had a house full of people with brisket and pork. Okay, that is awesome. And so having our people, so our church people, our family yes. around the table eating good barbecue is a very simple joy. Brooks would be so uh, proud. He's really into barbecue as well, and I am such a fan. I think it's like the most amazing hobby he could have ever acquired because it enables me not to cook meat for like five or six days, which is great. 
It is awesome. Yes, <laughs> it, it, it feeds a crowd and it's not very expensive. And then I would say, um, and I'm not just saying this because every mother would say this, truly my children are one of my greatest joys. They're not simple. They're great. Um, I have two children, um, Haddon, who is going to turn 23 in about a week. And um, he lives in D.C. And then Anna Grace, my daughter, who turned 26 in September. um, And she lives in Denver with her husband. And one of the things that you will see, Hunter, as you grow older is that your children move from being um, not only just a delight to you and they're always your child, but then they move to being brothers and sisters in Christ and they teach you profound things. And I would say they're some of my greatest teachers are my children. Oh, that's absolutely wonderful. And I I love the name Haddon. I'm assuming you got that from Charles Spurgeon. Is that right? He is named um, after Charles Haddon Spurgeon. This is what pastors do to their children. (laughs) He is... His middle name is Martin. He's named after Martin Luther. And as Haddon, Haddon would go around as a little kid and say, I'm named after three pastors, Spurgeon, Luther, and my dad. So nothing to live up to. But anyway, it's... Uh, no wonder he teaches you so much. It, no wonder, yes. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, Karen, you have had an impact, obviously, on your kids, on your spiritual kids. I would consider myself one of those, even at a distance. You have had a great impact on so many people from your journey with Jesus. And I would love to hear who is it that's had the greatest impact on your own journey with Jesus? Um, My best friend, and Mm. that's my husband. Mm. And uh, Chris is, he's my best friend. He's the most precious person in the world to me, but he's also my pastor. And um, he has shaped so many things in my life because what he preaches from the pulpit, he he seeks to live out in our everyday life. And he has shown me, He's shown me the shape of godliness, even when I didn't want to see it <laughs> um, yeah. on some of my harder days uh, in being a wife. We've been married 28 years um, just a few weeks ago. We celebrated our anniversary, and he really is my my best and most profound teacher. Oh, that is so cool. You're making me want to move up to Chicago so that I can just like <laughs> learn from you both. That is just, well, you, it's we really have wonderful. We would do it over barbecue. Oh, okay. Absolutely. Yes. Barbecue and movies. I'm sold. <laughs> well, Karen, it has been a joy to talk with you today. Thank you so much for sharing with the Journey Women listeners. It's just been a joy to have you on the show. Thank you, Hunter, so much. It's been an honor. I loved it when Karen said, A life-giving woman sets the gospel on display in her life, and people lean in and they look at it. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a stunning thing because it's not about her, because it's all about him. I'm so thankful for her encouragement to simply treasure the gospel and to trust that as we do, God will continue to transform us into the life-givers that we desire to be. You can find the details on everything that Karen and I talked about in the show notes at journeywomenpodcast.com. If you want to talk more about the topic of being a life giver, you can find us over on Instagram or Facebook at Journey Women Podcast. Hey, I want to say a huge thanks to Chris Mann, our editor with Podshaper. He edited this week's episode. It's such a joy to get to journey with you guys. I cannot wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week. I think I'm